When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. Really quickly, before we get into this episode, I wanted to mention my Patreon. Patrons get all of the podcasts a week early. I do giveaways. I do some other stuff. But most importantly, if you want me to review your music or artwork or anything else, Patreon is the way to do that. Every month, I do a call for submissions. All you need to do if you want me to review something is just post it in the comments of that post. Then I will review it live on Twitch for the hundreds of people that tune into every stream and post it on Patreon for everyone to check out. All you need to do is just join at the $10 and up level, stay tuned for that post, and you are good to go. So if that sounds cool to you and you want me to review your music, artwork, or anything else, hit the link in the show notes for this episode. And thank you very much to everyone who supports over on Patreon. Vic, thank you very much for making time for this. Good morning from the West Coast. Good morning. Very nice to see you. You're the first person I'm seeing today. You're a sight for sore eyes. You look lovely. That's the first time anybody other than my mom has ever said that. So thank you. <laughs> you're you're up early for rock and roll hours. Yeah, but uh, I got to start getting used to it. You know, our, my baby is on the way. She's due any second now. Oh, wow. Congratulations. I got one coming in May. Hey, congrats. You're right up there too. This is coming around the corner. Yeah, cool. Well, let's. Uh, I want to start by asking about your new album, which uh, I've heard the singles from it, and I thought it was pretty interesting because it's got kind of this grunge flavor that I was not expecting, uh, and it was cool. I liked it, but definitely a big departure from where you guys have been before. Um, where did that come from? I think we were craving something a little different. You know, I think we our last couple records we really dove really deep into like kind of a lot of high gain metal tones and um really intricate complex stuff and uh i for this record I, I was just craving something completely different and wanted to kind of take more from the inspiration of bands that i listened to growing up more 90s bands i always loved like punk and and fast stuff but i was i, I was also really big in like pearl jam and like stone temple pilots and the cranberries and all these kinds of bands so kind of leaned into that stuff because I grew up playing that as well and uh I've never really kind of fully shown it in in our band so that's kind of where all that came from for me it sounded like silver chair to me when I first heard it yeah that's funny we're doing a uh, we're doing like a little promotional thing where uh we're gonna give away uh it's like a contest and we sign one of our new vinyls and then we pair it with our one of our favorite vinyls 
of all time, you know, and I, I paired mine with Frog Stomp by Silverchair. Yeah, it's a good album. It's interesting to hear these kind of influences come up more now with you guys and some other people are doing as well, because for years it was really just not cool at all to like say that you liked any of that stuff. There's a lot of things that weren't cool for years, like cargo pants are fully back. I'm hoping the juicy uh, track suits come back. Oh, they're, they'll be back for sure. But like, you know, if you got caught in like corduroy pants or like cargo pants at a certain time period, that was really bad. Like that was, uh, that was about as bad as it gets. And now they're just full force. Yeah. Of the songs that I've heard so far, the song, even when I'm not with you, um, might actually be my favorite song that Pierce the Veil has ever done. Oh, wow. Thanks. Like musically, lyrically, I liked it a lot too, if it is correct. Genius.com tells me that it's about missing your wife when you're on the road. I've been married for a long time and I can definitely relate to that. Is that what it's about? Tell me about the lyrics. It's inspired by a text actually that my my manager sent me a text one time that just said, even when I'm not with you, I'm still with you. I was I don't remember what, what I was going through. I was going through something and I was... Just, I was struggling with something and she wrote that to me and I thought it was beautiful and I wrote it down. So I was like, this could be a great lyric. You just inspired me. Yeah. And then I, I developed it into uh, just a little simple love song to my wife about, yeah, about devotion and um, knowing that no matter how far away I am in the world, that we're always connected through our love. And yeah. And I tried to say it in the most creative, poetic way I possibly could. It's nice. It feels very heartfelt. Thanks. Yeah. One of my favorite things about this, song you know we're always trying to trying to do something that we've never done before and I, I think the thing that we did did on this song musically was I've always wanted to write a song that is a single looping riff throughout the whole song so all that changes is the melodies so I think we were able to achieve that on this one and it, it's it was really fun to try that I like that kind of emotional tone because I feel like that is kind of missing from a lot of music in you know whatever genre you want to call it you know there's a lot of like angry music and sad music and maybe there's songs about like oh i like the girl but she doesn't like me back and you know and all of that stuff is totally valid but especially you know as we all get older i feel like those kind of emotions are stuff that i like to see expressed more yeah i mean there's a lot of sour songs right now and this is just a love song and you know this is coming from beatles inspiration you know just like try try to like just sing about this person and make them feel really good and yeah that's what that was for you know how do you feel about getting out on the road a bunch now you know you've had i mean nobody was playing shows for a while and you got a baby on the way and stuff how do you feel about getting back on the road again with that in mind i'm very excited to to be touring again we did we toured for the last three months. It was the greatest touring we've ever had. It was so exciting. And the energy was just on a high that I've never seen before. And so, yeah, and we appreciate everything so much more now as we've gotten older. And, you know, we haven't toured in so long. And I definitely am a little scared about handling touring with having a new baby. I think that's, some, you know, this is something I've never done. So I've been confiding in a lot of my friends' bands who have done this before and asking them questions and kind of seeing how they did it. And uh, yeah, so I'm just kind of like looking for tips right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you and me both. Although I don't have to, I work a lot, but I don't have to like get on the road. That would be that would be difficult because you know there's going to be first moments that you miss, and uh, I'm not trying to like bum you out, but I'm sure you've thought about all these things. And I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> 
put on some creed with arms wide open. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's going to be emotional, but we'll we're going to get through it. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. So you're talking about the run you did with uh, there was the one with the I Prevail. I don't know if was there another one I'm not thinking of. We just finished uh, a headliner in the UK. Oh, okay. And it was interesting seeing that because, like you said, I feel like the hype was huge in a way that like not to say that I wasn't expecting it, but I mean, you really never know, you know, if you take a lot of time off, you guys haven't put on music for a while, a lot of bands kind of from your era of when you came out and it's like, it's kind of horrifying that Pierce the Veil is like almost 20 years old now, which (laughs) is scary, but a lot of bands from that era, you know, have kind of maybe fallen off a little bit. Um, And that certainly isn't the case with you guys. Do you have any thoughts on why that is the case? I just feel like we have a unique fan base. I think that our fans have, uh, I think we're pretty deeply rooted with them, you know, because of how, like you said, our band's nearly 20 years old. So it's been a long uh, journey of steps of building with them. So I think it just, yeah, our, our connection with them runs really deep. And so when we're off the road, we still see growth because there's always this like support of our fan base, you know, rooting us on, telling us they can't wait for the new music. And, and that gets us, that's what keeps us going and wants us to make a new album. You know, it's when we see that, that people still care and they, and they're investing in us. And yeah, so that, that really inspired us for this record. You know, when we were recording, I even, I printed out big old posters of our crowds from our, over the years, because we have these beautiful pictures of our crowds and, and, so I put them all over the studio so that we would remind ourselves of like where we're going to be, you know, who's going to be listening to this. Like we're going to be on a stage in front of these people. And I think it really helped us keep in a, in a good mindset for the record. You've got to keep yourself happy as a musician, obviously, because like, you know, that's part of why you do this. How do you kind of balance the, I don't know if selfish is the right word, but like the things you want to do for yourself versus the things that you you know or think that fans want? How do you kind of balance those two things? I think that it always has to come from us first. I don't think we can really, I don't know if it's smart to write from a place of think this is what you want to hear. Right. I don't, I think that would be confusing. You can tell when people do that and it almost never works out. Yeah, I, it. That would be harder for me to do, I think, because I don't know what people exactly want. Because <laughs> everybody wants something different. So right. it's really just about yeah, putting in as much of ourselves into these songs as we can, making them as honest as we can. Every lyric for me is I, I try to make it count and, and make it exactly what I want it to be. And um, that's what takes the longest for me. Is That's why every Pierce of record gets pushed back and pushed back because I'm just not done with the lyrics. Uh, Everything else will be done, but it's just about getting the words right. It's interesting that you say that because I've become very aware over the past few years that a lot of rock fans basically don't give a shit about lyrics. And I do a lot. I care a lot about lyrics. And it's like I, I can tell there's a lot of people, especially like men, that really just care about the riffs. Mm-hmm. What makes lyrics so important to you? When I first started writing music, the first songs that I wrote were like Pennywise songs. They were like Fight for Your Right, Stand Up, Integrity, and like I love that stuff. And then all of a sudden I started with our first Pierce of L record, I started dabbling with like emotions and like talking about myself. And all of a sudden the songs felt 10 times more powerful. And it was like there was, I had this layer of music. And then as soon as I added those words to it, the song just like shot up into something like that I felt so 
like strongly about. And uh, so I think it started then when I was, I was like, man, lyrics just elevate things to yeah. such, a, such a high level. Um, so yeah, it started when I was in my early twenties, like started just developing my writing. It's interesting that um, I feel like part of that is coming from the fact that I don't want to say all of it, but a lot of rock, especially like metal and metalcore kind of stuff is kind of increasingly become like guitar music written for other guitarists. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I mean, you guys definitely have a lot of kind of guitar heavy music as well. But I feel like, you know, it's kind of a net negative for the genre if like only guitar people care about this stuff. And I, I think that's part of what people connect with with Pierce the Veil is that it's not just the riffs. Yeah, I mean, uh, everything starts with music for me. You know, I'm a, I, I always say that I'm a guitar player first because that's what I, how I started. And I, my goal um, is to have a song make you feel something before there's even a single word on it or a single note saying. So I, wanna, I always want there to be motion in the music as well so that you could hear the song and, and feel sad or feel excited or... Um, so that's like a, a gauge for me is like, if I'm in my studio and I'm just feeling this music, like, and it's making me feel a type of way, like, that's when I feel like I have something, um, special. So I do want it to start there with, with riffs and with, um, emotion in the music. Yeah, that makes sense. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, the the TikTok moment that you guys had. Um, it seems like that was kind of a surprise. It definitely, I mean, I didn't expect King for a Day to like go viral on TikTok in 2022. How did you guys feel about that? It was it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. It was it was so <laughs> crazy, you know, like because we couldn't have planned any of that. You know, we were just home. We were trying to finish our album and like there was nothing going on with the band. Like we were just hibernating, waiting to put new music out. We didn't have a single piece of new music out. And all of a sudden this song from 10, 12 years ago just started. Uh, it, it like, I think it reached number one on rock chart on. Uh, yeah, I think so. It was crazy. So it was super exciting. I loved every minute of it. I loved watching the fans develop this, uh, this, this trend into like this into different things. So it was like a snowball effect of, of uh, people like chopping it, trying to top each other on how creative they can be on it. And uh, we were just sitting back, just watching it and just loving every second of it. And I, I think I'll never forget the moment when I woke up and we saw that Lizzo had done the trend. Oh, wow. I didn't see that. Yeah. And me and my wife were just like, I just held my phone in the air. I was like, fucking Lizzo. What is happening? <laughs> wow. That's amazing. It was a wild, wild ride. You know? Yeah. I love I love that the that the people did this. You know, it was it was incredible. We appreciate like all of that stuff. What I thought was really cool about it is seeing so many younger kids that look, you know, they seem like Pierce the Veil fans from like 10 or 12 years ago, but like the new generation of that, like there's those there's one of the most popular ones is I think they're like El Salvadoran or something like that. There's like three or four girls like in their basement. And it was so cool to see because it's exactly the same kind of energy as, you know, the old school Pierce the Veil fans. And to see like a new generation of that is just really inspiring. It is inspiring. It's it's energizing. And yeah, we didn't know, you know, what to expect when we started coming back and into the spotlight. And uh, I really felt it a lot too at, at our live shows. You know, I would 
tell the crowd, I'll be like, who's seen us before? You know, throw up your hand and it'd be like, you know, a good amount of people. But then who's never seen us before? Who's the very first Pierce Avail experience? It was like whole crowd freaks out. And so that told us that there's this whole new generation of, of music lovers out there and these kids kind of starting to define themselves with their music tastes. And that just opened our eyes to be like, oh my God, there's a whole new era of our band, you know, right in front of us. So it's really exciting. What I think is insane is that there's people who would see that as a negative, that there's, you know, some kid that discovered Pierce the Veil on TikTok six months ago, you know, like treating them like they're not a real fan or you only know King for a day. That's insane to me. Dude, I've seen this a lot of people like calling people TikTok fans. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. Like if you're a fan of music, no matter how you discover it, if it moves you and you love it, you're a fan of it equally to anybody. You know, you can't compare yourself or think you're better than anyone else just because of the the platform that you found it on. You know? Right. Like we discovered stuff from MTV. Does that make us not real fans? Yeah. All these MTV kids out here selling out the uh, Green Day show, you know? <laughs> and people said that back then and it was stupid when they said it now. And it's stupid when they say it about TikTok. Like, it doesn't matter if people like it, then that's all good. It doesn't matter how they find it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Time will work all that out. So when you see the crowds now, like what is the mix of kind of old school versus new fans? It's a amazing mix it's like people with their kids and then there's straight up just you know the 13 year old who's never been to a show before who's crowd surfing for the first time you know it's like mm -hmm. it's amazing um the energy is high it's uh i i wasn't sure if um you know the crowds would be as aggressive as they are but because of all the new uh fans it's like it is like bouncing and going crazy and it's been it's been amazing. So, uh, you know, we feed off of that, especially our bass player, Jaime. He's going to hurt himself up there because of how, how like, he's like a puppy. He's like, when people, people get excited, he gets excited. So, yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Well, your last time was what, 2016? Is that right? I think so. I honestly don't, I don't like to keep track. Cause... Yeah. I think it's been a long time. And I know, like you said, it got pushed back a few times. And I think you guys were maybe kind of sort of on hiatus. What made you kind of decide, like, the record's done, like, we're coming back for real, for real? Like, what was the, the moment? One of the biggest moments was when we locked in a producer. You know, we locked in Paul Meany. You know, he just came off of doing 21 Pilots. So we got this big producer to do our record. And so we're just like, oh, my God, like, this is a huge moment. You know, we, we got this guy to do our record. And, yeah, I mean, that, that really lit a fire for us because we were like, you know, this record could be anything now. Like we're going to, we're going to really bring it to the, bring everything we got to the table. And then I know he's going to bring everything. So this, this could be something really special. So, you know, that got us really excited to do the record. Bowie, Dylan, Marley, you've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made Titans of Music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. How do you know when something like, I mean, I guess this is part of what a, the producer helps with, but it sounds like you're one of these people that likes to kind of tinker with stuff for a long time. How do you know when a song or an album is like done? I've always compared a song to a painting, you know, a painter who's painting and only the painter knows when the last brushstroke is made because it's just a feeling, you know, you go like that and you go, I think that's it. You know, that, you know, no one else will notice that little thing that I did, but you can feel it. And it's just like a feeling of just something locking into place, you know, and, and, in your, in your heart and your soul and your mind, you're just like, yep, that's, that's it. I think I've achieved what I wanted with that. You know, and that's, that's really hard to get to that place. But yeah, that's, uh, that's how I feel about it. Are you someone that looks for a lot of input and feedback on that? Or you just listen to your own internal voice? Or like, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's always internal. Like, I I don't think we let anybody um, tell us when that something needs more or that it's not done or whatever. Um, But I don't know. I take that back. I think Paul, you know, Paul would tell me if he thought something wasn't strong enough. You know, it's like a lyric wasn't there yet um, because he had high hopes for for something in his mind about a song and uh sometimes I couldn't reach that I was just like I don't know I feel it like I love the song I'm already feeling it and he'd be like ah, it's not ah, the lyric is not there we got to get there and I'm like well that always my gauge has been if I'm feeling it I, I think someone else is going to feel it uh, you know and uh 
so there was definitely some battles that that went down with us on some of these songs and and that's okay. That's that's why we hired him. Yeah, that's what you're paying him for. Yeah. If you want if you want somebody to just tell you it's great, play it for your mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that. Was there any part of you that was like afraid that you were rusty or anything like that? Uh I think I was a little uh I don't know. I was unsure of how I was gonna do coming in vocally because I I, I hadn't tested my voice to its hundred percent capability in like a couple years while I was writing. So, you know, when I'm writing, it's like, I, I, I'm not going to like scream like a thousand times and like try and like blow out my voice. I'm, I'm trying to get ideas gathered. So, but when it comes down to doing the record, it's like, you got to really put your whole body into everything and really see what you got. And um, I spent a lot of time with uh, actually Jaime um, engineered all of our vocals, my bass player, Oh wow! So it was just me and him in our studio, just laying down everything, and that was it. Was actually a really fun experience. So um, that put my my mind at ease. I mean, that's so much like being a vocalist is really kind of like it's almost like being an athlete. It's like half athlete, half actor because you do have like physical. There's a physical component of it more so than with guitar, but there's also mm-hmm. that mental component. Like if you're not, if you don't. F- feel good you're probably not going to do your best performance either so i can see how like having that kind of environment would help a lot yeah and it it really showed itself when we started touring like i i think that a touring voice trying to find that again like you know uh you have to sing in a way that allows you for longevity you know because you got to sing every single night almost and uh so that that i had to learn again that took that took i don't it took me like two tours um, to get back to where I was feeling um, like I had tapped back into uh, something that I had forgotten. So like the first show is like when you haven't been to the gym in the month, in a month and you come back and you're like, Holy shit. Dude, we were real scared for that first show. We're like, we're, we're going to all explode on the first note. There's, I don't know what's going to happen. You saw like, I, what happened to like Rage Against the Machine with Jack De La Rocha, like with his knee or ankle or whatever it was. Yeah. He went on like first, was that the first show, second show back? Something like that. Yeah. He blew out his something. And uh, I was, damn, we don't want that. So we were actually, we trained a lot actually before yeah. getting ready for it. I mean, you're not getting any younger. You got to think about that stuff. Yeah, man. Yeah. It was a really interesting thing for me to see. Back in, you know, whatever, 2014, 2016 or so, it seemed like there was this moment where there was a lot of bands in your genre, like Mice and Men, Asking Alexandria, Sleeping with Sirens, you guys that were like hitting the Billboard top 10. And I was like, holy shit, this is weird and cool and awesome. You know, even if you don't care about charts and, you know, gold plaques and all that kind of thing, like it's still cool to see. And it's like, to me, it's like important for the culture in general, because it does help everybody. You know, if you guys are doing well, it helps the smaller bands and all that. What was going, you know, as someone who was, you know, you were in it, what do you think was going on in that moment at that time? And how did you feel? Mm. All our bands just kind of kept moving forward until I guess just the right time until like the generation started shifting until like the, you know, the, the charts, the people who run the charts or whatever started shifting into people who actually grew up listening to 
our music. And I think that's what it took. I don't think anyone was going to give us a chance and play a Pierce the Veil song on the radio, you know, 10 years ago, or, you know, it was just too risky. Right. But now, you know, with like, I think our genre and all these bands have proven themselves over time and they have real fans. And I was, what do I tell? I tell like younger artists to like, just be undeniable, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think at some point everything was undeniable. It was like, yeah, look at these shows. There's, there's all these bands are selling all these tickets and there's all these fans and there's all these streams and this is like real, you know? So we should probably play them on the radio (laughs) or, or maybe we should like give them credit on these charts and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I think it all just kind of just became undeniable. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. And, there was a few years there where I was like, this is never going to happen again because, you know, rock is just kind of burned out. And I just, I felt like it was kind of just not going to happen. But now when I see the stuff that's happening on TikTok and like you're saying, the younger kids going to shows again and they're discovering, it's interesting to see them discover so many older bands like, you know, Deftones are probably more popular now than they have been in 20 years or whatever. And, you know, you guys, and there's like every week, there's like some old song that like blows up on TikTok again. And it, it kind of does feel like maybe it could happen again. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's been pretty rad to see these bands having uh, a resurgence like Deftones. Like that. I love that like young kids are rocking Deftone shirts. I'm like, yes, you know, you're, you discovered it. Hell yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's really exciting. It is interesting, though, to see so many young like when I was 13, I didn't give a fuck about listening to some song from 30 years ago or 20 years ago. That was like my parents music. And I, and I don't think kids now feel that way. Yeah. I mean, like I saw this TikTok the other day and it was like this probably like 13, 14 year old girl. And she was like, t- like talking about how cool her mom was when she was a kid. And they showed pictures of her mom. And her mom was straight up like a Deftones, like corn fan, you know, and I was like, she looked so sick. And I was like, you know, that's definitely different than our parents who were rocking out to like, you know, 70s bands. It was, you know, it, it feels different, um, right? I guess, culturally. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or or if everything is just secular. Uh, it It does feel different. Like. Listening to stuff like Led Zeppelin, no disrespect to like Led Zeppelin or Santana or whatever. Those are great bands. But like listening to that in the 90s felt very like dated and it felt like a different world. It was it was hard for me to get into those bands like Rolling Stones and and the Beatles. And I did eventually, but it it didn't come very uh, naturally in the beginning. Yeah. Whereas, you know, like you said, Deftones or Pearl Jam or Nirvana or you know, whatever stuff from the nineties still sounds rage against the machine for that matter. I was listening to that album yesterday and I was like, damn, this could come out today, their first album. And it would crush. Everybody would love it. Like the nineties is when stuff started to sound like modern. I think. Yeah. It's, it's a, there's a whole podcast conversation to be had <laughs> about that topic of like, you know, cause, because you also throw into the mix that there's social media now and things right. can go viral easier and you can actually access things easier. So, but when we were younger, all that you had was like these old dusty records or something, you know, so, or like some tapes, you know, right. <laughs> so it wasn't like really being presented to you in a, in a great way. 
Right. Yeah. There's it's uh, but either way, you know, it's just it's cool to see. I'm happy to see kids getting into this stuff. And it feels like uh, I would I would have never guessed to say it, but it feels like, you know, the future is brighter for bands like you guys now than it has been in a long time, which is awesome. It's pretty amazing, man. It's, we're very, very thankful for every, for this, just for the vibe right now. It feels great. Right on. Cool. Well, I appreciate your time. I will uh, let you go and uh, best of luck with everything. Hey, thanks, man. This was fun. Appreciate it. Take care. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast.